NHL scheduling is beyond annoying. Take Thursday, November 17th through Sunday, November 20th stretch. Seven of eight Central Division teams play on Thursday. Three start times and two sets of three an hour apart that guarantees all games are all in intermissions all at the same time. Even the late game, you can see a period of another game or simply pick two, one of the early start of three of six and watch the one late game. Friday, not one division game. In fact, one NHL game in total available. Saturday, even worse than Thursday's seven-game night because it's only two start times, and that has the same everyone is all in the intermission at the same time problem. Sunday, one Central Division game of a two-game NHL schedule. What of a four-set equal number of games with start times? We'll just say Central Standard Time at 1, 4, 7, 9, 30 more spread out to actually see several games on a Saturday and likewise on Sunday every week? How about more evenly spread out weekday tilts instead of a top-heavy Thursday and nothing to watch Friday schedule? Growing the game means fans get to watch more than their hometown team. That is how you grow the game. And simply the NHL fails to do that by scheduling that provides the opportunity for fans to do that. This year has been especially bad for not allowing it. But having to, like on a Saturday night, November 19th, pick between Colorado versus Washington or Pittsburgh versus Winnipeg is lame. Likewise, Tampa Bay versus Nashville and Carolina versus Minnesota, both games that went to overtime, but both had the exact same start time that after picking one of the first two choices, you had to pick which of the second to see the end of. And totally forget about checking in on Chicago, Dallas, or St. Louis at all, even saying that unless you're just going to surf through the games and basically not watch any of them in doing so. The NHL needs to do better with the game scheduling. Let fans see more of the action. It's the NHL. Nothing, of course, will change with me saying this. Just mostly want to say how pathetic it is to have to complain about things so obvious yet oblivious to the powers that be. And for the networks, instead of trying before the season begins, predict the watchable level of teams, evenly distribute them. So maybe a surprise like Dallas and the sensational Jake Ottinger and Jason Robertson can be seen equally as what turned out to be a tire fire Anaheim and one trick pony Trevor Zegras is. Sure, underdogs are as popular as overhyped big market teams as well. Not everybody wants to watch the New York Rangers. Best scheduling quote comes from Winnipeg defenseman Nate Schmidt after the 6-1 road loss in Minnesota, a game covered in the other two parts of the podcast, and last year's 7-1 road loss between both teams, both scheduled around Thanksgiving, and Schmidt jokingly quibbed postgame, we've got to talk to the schedulers and get us out of here this time of year. Minnesota, on the other hand, might want to sell the NHL on it needing to be a divisionally held annual game tradition. Welcome to Central Division Hockey, the podcast. I'm your NHL outsider and Central Division expert, Tim Bigelow. 
A full podcast would take the three parts and play them by the division standings order. Simply, I knew the runtime was too long to keep them all together, so I divided the sections up this time. Keep in mind, in a division game, the primary game recap is always put win or lose with the team with the better record. So, if you're a true podcast follower, you listen to all the parts. If you're here for your home team only, well, just be aware you might miss a comment related to your team and another team's recap of the same game in that team's segment. Winnipeg versus Chicago, Minnesota versus Arizona are examples of division games this applies to in this three part podcast. Thanksgiving away Eve games are included, almost a last minute title for this edition, just based on who would have thunk it Thanksgiving Eve, November 23rd Central Division results with two division head-to-head scratchers for different reasons and otherwise teams not expected to win doing so in the other four matchups central division teams were in never mind reverse retro jersey night this turned out to be reverse expected results night tier three is the two division teams that gms actively told their respective fan bases they were tanking and of the tank teams this part also represents seeing my division predictions at least hold true on the bottom of the division that was prior to the season beginning that chicago would probably even with arizona's road schedule challenges included be worse There is a lot of season left to play, yet there aren't too many on that season-long road trip for Arizona left. Chicago, meanwhile, was nicely chalking up a losing streak at home. Nice if you appreciate the GMs made these teams to not win. In fairness, the players are trying to win, and so are the coaches. It isn't an easy thing to do, that is tank, because Pacific Division Anaheim, who was said by some to be more competitive, is winning the draft lottery sweepstakes because they are losing the most. If they weren't so painstakingly awful to watch, they would make for a nice third team to follow with Arizona and Chicago as it relates to the Western Conference tank, but trust me, I dabble into the Pacific Division mostly as it relates to the Western Conference playoff-bound wildcard situation. I can sleep on Trevor Triple Zegras, but please go watch the Nashville versus Anaheim highlights and his defensive zone pass to the corner, aka nowhere turnover, that allows Nashville to score the game-winning overtime goal. Kid truly is good for one-a-game highlight reel moment. Let's start with the Coyotes. Arizona won 3-2 as their lengthy road trip continues, playing near 500 hockey since our last pot, yet losing the last two and winless in three to be 7-11-3 on the year, 17 points, 405 point percentage in 21 games played, yet they move up to 7th in the division. That's right, one point ahead of Chicago with one game in hand on the Blackhawks. And this is updated to include Thursday's Arizona loss in L.A. Vegas goalie Logan Thompson was only beat by Arizona's Clayton Cowers team-leading seventh goal shot that went off Vegas defenseman Alex Martinez net front. Thompson didn't look like he was going to be scored on throughout the game. Vegas with a second-period power play goal 
a first shift third period goal and two more with Kellers between them comfortably down Arizona 4-1. to one. The single shootout loss point Arizona picked up against division rival Nashville had the two goal including the game tying shorty from Nick Bukestad as well as former Preds goalie now Yo Connor Ingram's 42 saves to accomplish it. It also saw the return of forward Nick Schmaltz and was defenseman Jacob Chikrin's first game played this season. Arizona's Nick Schmaltz two-on-one keep on the first shot on goal gives the Yotes the lead in the first that ends up a 14-1 shot on goal for Carolina advantage, but a 1-0 Arizona lead. The kind of thanks giving away Kane's mode as they can't find a way to score. As a power play expires, Arizona's loss in Kraus and a Nick Bukestad pair of net front goals in the third and Kraus's second, team leading ninth at the time, into an empty net give Arizona a 4-0 road win in Carolina that includes a 36-save shutout by Arizona goalie Karel Vamelka, his second of the year, and additionally 30 team block shots in front of him. Detroit's first of two power play goal, one in the first period and another 402 into the second, have Detroit up two. Net side Arizona deflection by Nick Schmaltz on a Jacob Chickern point shot cuts the lead. It's a point blast by former Yote now wing defenseman Jordan Osterley responded by Arizona defenseman Yanis Moser's goal that has it a 3-2 Detroit lead through 40. 26 seconds left in the third. Arizona defenseman Chikrin shot for his first of the year ties it with Arizona playing six on five. However, Detroit get the lone shootout goal to win 4-3 at home in a shootout. Arizona's 4-3 loss to Division Minnesota, also covered in part two of the pod, did have an exciting ending with a late push by the Coyotes when Minnesota up 4-1 took the foot off the pedal five minutes ahead of the game ending. Arizona's Christian Fisher gets a shorthanded goal to open scoring, but LA do get a power play goal response quickly after on the same advantage to have it tied through 20. Arizona's Matias Michelli and Nick Bukestad make it 3-1 Arizona in the middle frame, but LA get a power play goal and a late tally to have it 3-all after 40. LA get the goal ahead goal just over five into the third and add an empty net goal for a 5-3 LA home win. Let's start with the potentially season-killing 14-game road trip and 20 of 24 on the road to begin Arizona's campaign. Arizona 6-9-2 on the road, 4-5-2 having played 11 of the 14 of the long road trip. They have three games to go. The rest of the way this year, they will have two-thirds a home heavy season as they will have played more than half of this year's 41 road games to start it. They are a game within 500 road record win to loss, give or take. And even if they do lose the remaining three, that would make them four, eight and two over the 14. And that would be good for the tank, but it's still, if they did that 357 point percentage over the road trip, it's not winning only two games that some projected Arizona would never recover from. Now, with, say, a home record that stays, say, for 50-point percentage this year, it will make Arizona a last-place division team. Now, quite honest question, when Arizona is trying to tank, with his two shutouts, the NHL's third-best goal saved above expected mark 12.6, according to Money Puck. Prior to the LA game, do you trade away starting goalie Karel Vamelka to actually lose more games? And to me, Arizona probably should, because I'm not sure the return value for Vamelka will be as high as it 
currently is. And well, the longer you keep them, the more likely Chicago finishes, as anticipated, last in the Central Division. So much for my veggie regression theory. His numbers thus far aren't supporting it. And let's remember, Arizona finally has defenseman Jacob Chikrin back in its lineup. And if reports are true, and they are, he wants to be traded, he is an early returns showing playing like he wants to be. That's the same storyline Shane Gostaspare would be motivated under. And Arizona, despite moving on from defenseman Connor Timmons, did grab off waivers. Calgary cast off Yuso Valamaki, who has shown at 24 to still have NHL playable value. They kept entry-level contract-eligible waiver-exempt Yanis Moser, 22, with the club because he is playing top four minutes. In fact, according to Cap Friendly, Moser's average time on ice per game leads the team. Really, only Dyson Mayo has visibly struggled, and Arizona has an NHL-capable Troy Stetcher, vet but low-minute bottom-pair option Patrick Nemeth and Josh Brown. It's six, although Arizona coach Andre Turnier was going with an 11 forward 7D lineup. But with Chikrin back, if all healthy and currently with Valimaki listed day to day, Arizona has eight total defensemen. To me, my pre regular season assessment of the D group being better than Chicago's holds up. Only you swap in left-hand defenseman Valimaki in while swapping out right-hand defenseman Timmins out. I think overall you arrive with as good an overall assessment of the eight that I simply assume meant at full health Moser would have to be sent down, except right now you probably keep all eight and subtract and add to the lineup as trades happen from Tucson as needed. Don't forget, even trading two, Arizona has top prospect, 21-year-old right-hand defenseman Victor Soderstrom in Tucson since the year started additionally. The forward group has top liner Nick Schmaltz return, and he opened the scoring in his second game back. That's going to help already point-per-game production. Clayton Keller, 19 points, 7 goals in 18 games played prior to the LA game. Lawson Kraus, who missed the LA game, now has 10 goals and is the team leader in that category as he continues off his solid year and develops. For Chicago fans wanting to take notes to hand to Chicago GM Kyle Davidson, one thing Arizona did was keep its better emerging 20-something-year-olds that would be prime-age players when the draft pick infusion occurs. There wasn't a lot in Arizona to do that with, but Clayton Keller, 24, Lawson Kraus, 25, Nick Schmaltz, 26, Christian Fisher, 25, and Barrett Hayton, 22, are those forwards. In fairness, cornerstone defenseman Jacob Trickern, 24, was to be the D-men included. And now instead, you probably put Yanis Moser, 22, and Yuso Valimaki, 24. Look at the Chicago roster and identify those player age pieces. For me, look back two years ago and you could actually do that. You can't really actually do that now because none of them are playing in Chicago now. And that's a big problem down the road for Chicago. It isn't for Arizona because in a proper rebuild, that's the continuity. And for cup winning teams, 
In the NHL, you have your vets, prime-aged, and some talented entry-level contract players that gel to win. It's the same reason Ottawa has struggled in their rebuild. They took out that middle-aged group, and now the young guns and other teams' players have to forge a team identity because it was never carried over. You can tank and build culture at the same time, but it's your near-to-prime-age, then-prime-age players that carry that torch, incorporating Dylan Gunther at 19 works in this Arizona team model. The Chicago Ottawa Prior castaway one. It really doesn't. Look at the rookies having success on playoff teams right now. Dallas's Wyatt Johnson, 19, playing with vet Jamie Benn and a 22-year-old Ty Delandria. And Winnipeg Cole Perfetti is on the line with prime age Mark Scheifele and vet Blake Wheeler of late. Once Chicago has Kane and Taves depart, which isn't even ideal, who is left for a top pick to play on a line with? Not the Brinkett, not Doc, or, or Kubalik. Uh, you get the idea. And while that Arizona forward list doesn't jump off the page to most ignorant other NHL market fans, Here's to all the Lawson Krause hater, as he is already at double digits goals. While you were all on Twitter talking about Phil no longer the throw Kessel as a deadline pickup, if you watched Arizona or were Arizona GM Bill Armstrong, his calls last year at the deadline were about teams trying to trade for Krause, not Kessel. Armstrong knows it's a player piece, a player that fits what Armstrong wants his team to be going forward, that he didn't pull a GM Davidson trade, i.e. Brandon Hagel, to Tampa Bay, like move with Kraus. That is going to especially pay off in a few years from now for Arizona. I didn't expect Arizona to keep up rookie 19-year-old Dylan Gunther, but I also think him playing has shown value. He has three goals. He may go play at the World Junior Championships, and that's a good thing to do. It's not easy to find bright spots in Arizona, but this team, unlike a year ago, can play at a better speed, both at forward and D, and are getting better goaltending. And for all the chicken trade chatter, this Arizona record, isn't propped up really because of him playing. He's just returned recently, so it's reflective already of how Arizona compete once Chikrin is traded, with a likely boost for Arizona to the total wins till he is traded. But again, how bad is Chicago once Kane and Taves depart by comparison to Arizona losing a player or two? Maybe Veggie does need to be traded, like to Chicago for Mrazek, one for one, because that could end up who gets the higher own first round draft pick in 2023. Arizona division head-to-head record 0-2-2. Arizona continues on the road as December begins with the LA loss. They then play Vancouver Saturday, then in Calgary and Edmonton. To conclude the 14-game road trip, Arizona then has two home games on the schedule versus Boston and Philadelphia. Chicago went 0-5-1 since our last pod, and in our current eight-game losing skid, that lone win prior was over Western Conference basement NHL last place overall occupiers Anaheim Bad. Chicago won twice in the month of November. Chicago at 6-12-4, 16 points in 22 games played, 364 point percentage, is last in the division, eighth, having played one more game than Arizona to still be a point behind the Yotes. 
Boston power play goals, open scoring in the first, Boston open scoring in the second. Chicago get a Jonathan Taves power play goal and then give up a power play goal and Boston add a third goal in the last minute of the second to lead 4-1 through 40. Two more Boston goals in the third in a 43-18 shot on goal Boston advantage in a 6-1 Boston home win, tying NHL record 11 wins at home to start a season. 104 into the first, Pittsburgh open a scoring if Genny Malkin in his 1,000 game scores and another Pittsburgh goal go up three just over four minutes into the second. Chicago on Jujar Kara and Patrick Kane goals make it 3-2 pens through 40. A bad angle Chicago goal by Philip Kurashev ties it with less than five minutes left in the third. Oh, less than a minute later, Pittsburgh retake the lead and add an empty net goal for a Pittsburgh 5-3 road win in Chicago in regulation. The Chicago three goals, second in Dallas, including Seth Jones, first in his return to the lineup, also had D-man Connor Murphy score. Unfortunately, the third period goal by Max Domi to go up three was followed by a penalty by him that cued the Dallas comeback. A 24-5 shot on goal advantage for Dallas in the third, undid 50 minutes that should have ended up a road win, and instead Chicago thanks giving Dallas an unthinkable comeback home divisional win, which was also covered in the Dallas section. Montreal score 321 into the first, and Kirby Ducks return to Chicago. Chicago's Caleb Jones ties it in the middle frame. Montreal retake the lead on the power play to lead 2-1 through 40. A Chicago power play goal net front by Taylor Radish with less than four minutes to go in the third forces extra time, while Chicago goalie Arvid Soderblom made some 10 bell saves as part of Chicago getting to OT in 23 shots on goal by Montreal. In the shootout, every Montreal player scores. The third shooter up, Doc, gives Montreal a 3-2 shootout win in Chicago. Chicago 7-2 home loss to Winnipeg covered in the Winnipeg section I've heard was closer in the fancy stats than the final score suggests. The scoreboard take is accurate. The lopsided shot on goal 44 Winnipeg to 25 by Chicago weren't close and Winnipeg held a shot on goal advantage in every period. If it's not for the nice play off an unplanned backboard bounce, Jujar Kara never scores that unlikely goal. There was good reason Winnipeg handed Chicago its seventh straight loss after a scoreless mostly dominated by the visiting oil game. Edmonton gets the opening goal less than a minute into the second and are up two right about the game's midpoint. Chicago's Boris Kachuk's first off a point blast from Jack Johnson has a 2-1 Edmonton after 40. Edmonton get another 118 into the third and at the 10 minute mark to be up 4-1. A Chicago power plate goal by Max Domi and an awful Edmonton defensive elapse for Chicago Mackenzie Entwitzel's first of the year and Edmonton goal and after Edmonton again gets into penalty trouble Chicago Domi's second power play goal makes it an Edmonton 5-4 road win over Chicago handing the Blackhawks their eighth straight loss. Alex Stalock is 35 years old and currently out with an indefinite concussion. I applaud him for signing with Chicago after several years that it has been a struggle due to injuries for him to play, yet he still wanted a different ending career-wise. He might, in fact, be this year's Carter Hutton, a vet goalie who signs with a GM tank-admitted team to try and snag an NHL starting goalie job for one last hurrah with six 
games started and a 3-2-1 and one mark, if Stalek doesn't return, he could very likely be the only Blackhawk goalie this year with a winning win-loss record. Next up is just as off to be injured Peter Morazic at 30, now 1-4-1 goalie who was expected to be Chicago's starting goalie has missed time as well. That in fact, it's to me not ready but being rushed to NHL lone Chicago goalie prospect Arvid Soderblom with one less game started, although the three have equally appeared in seven games now, and a 2-4-1 and one record that is, well, looking to be in a split-duty situation. Now, I didn't think Chicago win or lose more games, retaining last year's tool that finished the year. Now Nashville backup goalie Kevin Lankinen, who I think has been pleasantly better in front of a better D group than Chicago has and had during his time in Chicago. And also the not NHL goalie Colin Delia, who is actually playing in the AHL as a backup given his game started in Abbotsford, Vancouver's farm team. That is best case career arc-wise accurate for Delia. Essentially, Delia spelling off what younger goalie prospect you are trying to maximize the workload to get to NHL development-wise at the American Hockey League level. Maybe Lankinen would have played too good. But what I will repeat, at least Lankinen wasn't going to spend the year on injured reserve that Soderblom wouldn't have had to been rushed in his development as previous Chicago GMs oft were known for doing. Then trading still in development players for no return because they were proclaimed bust. Kirby Doc, wrongfully the most recent, and that's under this GM, he was dealt, rushed to the NHL by the previous one. I'm so not on board with the Chicago rebuild. I don't want to be right this team finishes last in the Central Division. I think Chicago already traded the core required to keep this Chicago team that it won't be good even winning a lottery or two. And GM Kyle Davidson could remain nameless because he will be replaced because of his early already made mistakes before the Chicago team gets good again. But the goaltending choice, heck, the lack of return for even taking on Mrazic's contract was an error and at least one prime aged adequate for split duty goalie if you're an NHL team is required. I won't even repeat Chicago scribe Charlie Romaliotis's stat of Chicago's record without or with actual top pair value time on ice minute muncher Seth Jones in the lineup. I did that with Kale Granlin over a season and it doesn't hold up over a long stretch. Truth is, both Goy Stalick and Seth Jones combined absence makes Chicago's ability to win harder. Of course it does. It's the team's best available positional player in each category this year. Take Kane away from the forward group and Chicago has less of a chance to win games too. The D group politely has top four probable second value Connor Murphy and top pair Seth Jones that could play in most NHL teams top four right now. I'm not sure Murphy would be in Colorado's top four, but most teams. Otherwise, it is all now bottom pair value D at best, including defenseman Jack Johnson, Jake McCabe, Caleb Jones, and Jared Tenorti. You could include just sent down Ian Mitchell in this group, but it's really inadequate with everyone healthy even. Two guys are playing 
buying up the depth chart that have no business doing it and subtract Seth Jones and to a lesser extent Murphy and you probably should be losing most nights. The other thing Chicago fans forget that changed the course is how quickly I want to even say before the teams hit the 15 game plate mark this year teams became serious about the attention to their own zone the running gun Chicago needed to post some win game style evaporated as fast as any year I can remember it doing so inadequate goaltending a not constructed NHLD group and a forward group that in tight games needs to find scoring that also isn't built to be able to do it and Chicago's current slide is what to expect even with two top six value forwards in Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves till they ask to be traded and honestly I trade for Taylor Radish and depending on the team for Jason Dickinson and from this roster that's it. Honestly, this forward group doesn't have a top six, and it's hardly even all third-line value players either. Take one or both of the cup winner vets out of this mix. When with them in the lineup, any NHL GM shouldn't think fans would want to pay to see this. Honestly, this team has currently four forwards playing in the top six that would be maxed third liners then three more who potentially slot on the third line although two probably really are fourth liner value and a fourth line of guys that wouldn't make most other nhl teams as the 13th forward that's what they're throwing out there this team should be worse than anaheim record wise but that's the only comparative and as arizona gets through near 500 on their long ass road trip and is ahead in the standings well the more likely that's how this ends up at season's end chicago meanwhile has lost its last six home games and that's where chicago has had a better record this year it's like line combos or deep pairings or who ends up starting in net isn't worth spending any discussion time on. Versus Edmonton, Chicago coach Luke Richardson reunited Kane and Taves. It might be trying for Chicago fans trying to stay invested in this team. Even Chicago's latest loss, if not for the late undisciplined penalties by Edmonton and two late Chicago power play goals, the score wouldn't look so kind to the Blackhawks in the loss. Chicago division had to record is 0-5-1. Up next, December begins as Chicago plays three on the road against the New York Rangers tonight. The Isles and New Jersey return for three at home to division rival Winnipeg with Washington and Pacific leading Vegas following that. Really, we should just circle the Ottawa, Anaheim, and Arizona scheduled games for Chicago's tank placement spot. As we look at the Pacific Division, it's two teams, Seattle and Vegas. Seattle on a seven-game win streak with a 717 points percentage, yet two points behind Vegas, also over 700-point percentage, that lead the Pacific. Those two teams, Seattle's seven-game win streak, of course, but also Vegas have been the teams atop. But Seattle has made ground to get separation, meaning that L.A., Edmonton, and Calgary are really the three teams competing for that third guaranteed Pacific Division spot. 
L.A. currently holds it. Edmonton and Calgary have had struggles of late, but they are both over 500 teams. Vancouver had a little blip, but they remain behind as well in the division and also lost starting goalie Thatcher Demko for an extended amount of time this past week it was announced. After that, it's San Jose and Anaheim bringing up the league basement. Needless to say, there are really five Pacific Division teams that the last three, one will get a Pacific Division spot, but the other two will be aiming for wildcard spots, which is especially important to the three teams in spots four through six in the Central Division that being Minnesota, Nashville, and St. Louis, who are also currently all battling for those two wildcard playoff spots. That concludes the three-part Central Division podcast with our third tier, and we'll be back at you in short order. However, I will say this, um, depending on how this goes, we may in fact start doing these in three sets of team looks going forward haven't decided yet if we do it quickly we'll just put them all together again as long as it's a podcast that's under an hour in listening time thanks for listening to the show enjoy the hockey on the weekend